Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome back to the program. Thanks again for listening. I appreciate you taking the time. My guest today is Chris Christensen for the third time in a series of I don't know how many as we document his journey that started about two years ago with stage four pelvic cancer. And due to this stage four cancer, he had to have his, he had to have the left side of his pelvis removed. Of course, losing a perfectly good left leg. During this series, we have been documenting and Chris has been telling his story of how he is coping physically, mentally, and most recently, the challenges he is facing trying to get back into the workplace. So let's get into this. I uh, just wanted to say welcome back. And this is our uh, our third. This is our third interview since your your life changed. And it's been in two years this fall, correct? That's right. Yeah, that's right. September 2nd will be uh, the second year anniversary of finding out I had cancer. And then the 23rd will be the second year since the surgery. Tell us what's been happening since last time we chatted about eight months ago, nine months ago, I think is the last time we talked. Well, let's How's see your progress here. coming along. You know, the progress with the leg is coming along pretty well. I've been working hard on developing my technique and learning how to walk in various different scenarios, like out in the grass and up and down stairs and across the sides of hills and that sort of thing. And that's been coming along really well. Um, and in fact, uh, so well that the prosthetist and the main doctor who is now managing my care I uh, think that it's time to put new hardware on my leg. So um, they're hoping to be able to get a new ankle joint and a new hip joint for me. So that's been coming along really well. How is it different from your current one? Well, the current one uh, on the hip, it only swings back and forth. So it only goes from front to back. Oh, Okay. So there's no, uh, there's no twisting that goes on. Like when you normally walk, there's a little bit of twisting going on inside your hip joint, you know, where it twists side to side. And so a, a new hip would allow it to go both uh, forward and back and then spin on its axis a little bit. So you can navigate stairs easier. You can navigate uh, rough terrain easier. And the same thing with the, with the ankle joint. It articulates in more places. So that way, if you, you know, stumble on a rock or something like that, the ankle joint can adjust for the different angles that uh, your foot may be in. So that's, uh, those are relatively new developments. I hope to find out more about that next week. Um, and if that happens, it'll be a real game changer as far as set up with my leg and all of that is concerned. Yeah, what parts of your body are now strengthened in ways you never thought they would be and and because yeah you said you have to use your your abdominals to swing your leg so you're probably got a six-pack from you know 
right? Well, the six pack is being covered up by a nice layer of padding. Uh, but you do, um, huh? yeah, well, you know, actually, the crazy thing is, is the doctor uh, and the prosthetist have told me that I have to put on some weight, otherwise the prosthetic leg won't fit. So I've got to put on some weight. Um, otherwise it all starts shrinking, you know, it atrophies down there. Yeah. Uh, so the only way to keep up the size is to put on some weight, but that means, uh, it doesn't go to your stump first off, it goes to your belly first and then transitions from there out. So, so I got to eat a lot and I've got to eat a lot of high calorie food. So I, I drink weightlifters mass gainer stuff. Oh, that so like, like that protein, protein powder with, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of protein powder with uh, excess carbs in it. So, like, like the big meathead, muscle-bound weightlifting guys, you're you're eating the same kind of diet. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty yeah. much. But it's hard to put weight on, actually, given my uh, digestive changes too. How explain a little bit about that? How that works now? with your digestive because i was reading this about the colon about how that's where most of your water is absorbed yeah so so all the water is absorbed yeah the the colon is a great big dehydrator it takes all the water out of whatever it is you're eating but it also sucks out some of the nutrients that you eat um and because it's what generally causes problems for most people um, that's why most people have high fiber diets is to clean that thing out. Well, I don't have one of those anymore. So I, I don't eat high fiber foods. So like salad is off the list. Uh, carrots specifically are off the list because they just go straight through you and uh, that can cause some problems. Um, but, uh, you know, getting, getting the, uh, colon cut out, uh, does change the way you digest your food. And I'm not entirely sure on all of the different ways how it's been explained to me, but apparently it cuts down uh, your absorption of some of the vitamins and minerals you might otherwise get. Uh, and because you can't eat uh, fibrous foods, then you need to get the pro or the, the vitamins from those like, you know, salad vitamins, whatever's in that. Um, you got to get that from some other source. So it's a lot of vitamin tablet supplements and that sort of thing. Um, but then you got to put weight on. Uh, so it's really a matter of keeping the colon healthy or pardon me, keeping the small intestine healthy and uh, pumping through as much food through it as, as you can to make sure that uh, there's enough stuff there to be digested. So when you're eating now, I mean, in terms of be- being full and not full, is that, that's, I assume the same. Oh yeah. 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 The stomach's so not affected. Can, yeah. The stomach's not affected at all. So you eat until you're full and then uh, you stop eating, but then uh, the, the small intestine then takes over and does its job. And then uh, because you don't have a large intestine, you can't necessarily um, predict when, um, you know, when everything else that would normally happen with your digestive system happens. So you can't predict necessarily when you're going to have to go running off to the restroom or something like that. You have to, uh, you have to kind of figure it out and time it from when you last ate until the time things start moving around. So if you, uh, 
Like I found that if I eat after seven o'clock, I'm, I have to wake up at three or four o'clock in the morning and go racing to the restroom to, to empty the gastomy bag. But if I stop, then I can get all the way till about five or six. Okay. Well then talk, talk a little bit about, you know, how you, how are you managing all that since you've just recently done some traveling out West? Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk a little bit about how all that worked and the, the, the normalcy or the newness of all that. So people have been pretty good about adjusting then for that. Um, yeah, I think for the most part, in fact, between, um, between the prosthetic leg and my digestive dietary needs, everybody's been very accommodating. In fact, I'm quite surprised at just how accommodating people are. If you just let them know that you've got these special needs, well, especially when you can see that there's a leg missing and yeah. you've got a prosthetic leg and then you announce, I also have digestive issues that I got to pay attention to. Um, people generally are quite sensitive to that. Uh, furthermore, when they can see you coming and when people see you walking down the street, they're generally pretty accommodating to you. For example, I was in uh, Manhattan at Times Square not long ago and I have my uh, crutches. I have my crutches. They're they're covered in fluorescent green wrapping so that they really stick out. And as I'm walking around, and you know, there's thousands of people walking around that place. As I walk down the street or through the crosswalks, people would form this bubble around me. So people would walk head on towards me, and then they'd scoot all around me and create this little bubble, a little pocket in the flow of people as I would be walking. And that was unbelievable to me because normally you're getting smacked and smashed and oh, yeah. and bumped into new york people no one's looking no one's looking at any they're looking at their phone and self-absorbed and so for that to happen as a miracle it's like that's like the parting of the red sea yeah <laughs> well that's exactly what it was like and so uh you know and then they open doors for you when you least expect it or pick stuff up for you when you drop it which is um not uh like the stereotypical um, New big Yorker. city people that, that you run into, right? Yeah. Well, that's good. That, that's, you've just shed some light on New York, the, the gruff, rough New Yorker that maybe isn't well, true. In fact, I found that uh, the gruff, rough New Yorker isn't really so gruff and rough. It's it, They're not so mean and nasty. It's just they're busy. And right. in fact, they're very nice, most mostly. Yeah. You know, there's they're no... just regular people, but they're very busy. And that's what I've learned in the, the last, because my daughter moved there to Brooklyn last fall. And I'd never been oh, to New right. York until, until helping her get there. And so I've been there twice now and it's an interesting place. I love it. I loved it. Yeah. But it's very interesting on how everyone's, everyone's busy. They don't look at each other, but you know where you stand with them too, which is nice. But Yeah. Well, and that's a byproduct of being busy. We don't have time to waste with any bull crap. We just want to get straight to the heart of the matter. Yeah. Get her done. Um, how are things adjusting with the family, the kids? Uh, um, you still yeah. have one at home or have you, are they all gone now? Well, they're all at home right now. Oh. Uh, so our oldest two uh, graduated from college and our second oldest got accepted immediately to graduate school just as she was accepting a position at a at a job, which was really nice. So she's a graphic designer doing computer design stuff with a, with a company. And then they're paying for her to go to go to graduate school. 
And our first oldest is now um, just recently accepted to a graduate degree program in nursing out here at a local university. Well, it's about an hour from here uh, at a university where she's going to become a nurse practitioner. And then right after that, she's going to go into the doctorate of nursing program. So she'll become a doctor, although a different kind of doctor than your typical MD or DO. Did any of your kids career plans change based on all the experiences that you've had with you and your situation or has that stayed the same? Um, not necessarily changed. Um, our oldest daughter went from wanting to become a physician assistant, a PA, uh, to becoming a, a DNP, a doctor of nurse practicing. Um, largely because that was the quickest road for her to get to be a medical doctor, a licensed doctor, which she wanted to use to help out people like me. That said, um, she doesn't want to necessarily deal with the population of people like me. She wants to, uh, she wants to work in more dynamic settings like an emergency room setting, uh, which is very interesting. Um, but then our, our third child, her plans may have changed a little bit. She doesn't really know exactly what she wants, but because of the situation that we've just gone through, it's really caused her a little bit of an existential, I wouldn't say crisis, but there's been a lot of existential questioning going on as to who am I and what do I want to be and what do I want to do? And then our, our youngest, it's actually really focused her on what she wants to do. So, you know, in that regard, I suppose my my situation has impacted some of their career choices and educational plans. But by and large, it's all been about the same, just variations on a theme. Um, tell me, like your the the career that you had, the job that you had, are you able to do any of that anymore, or how how does how is that all working out? Well, that is an interesting question. So I'm about to the point in my rehabilitation where it's probably time to get back to work, to do something uh, fulfilling and to do something meaningful professionally. And I have been contacted by recruiters who have trolled LinkedIn and other places where my resume happens to be posted. And they have reached out to me saying they've got great jobs. And so I have been... Uh, interviewing for some jobs, some of which were exactly like, well, almost exactly like the job that I just left. And I would have been a shoe in for them until they find out two things. One, how old I am. And then secondly, uh, I have a disability. Namely, I've got one prosthetic leg. And when they find those two things out, they generally run out of interest in wanting to hire somebody like me. And so it's becoming, and this has happened now six or seven times in the last six weeks or so. And it's making me believe that, that uh, ageism and uh, disability isms are, are too, real. yeah, they're very real. Yeah, people don't want to hire people like that. 
And it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but it's really the way it goes, you know? And, um, and that's been frustrating. That's been a blow to the ego because one minute you're working just fine in your career and you're going at top speed and everything is working just fine. And then you wake up the next morning only to find out you have cancer and everything changes. And then from then on, it's like your ability to make a contribution just vanishes. Just vanishes. So um, after, you know, after being out on disability leave for, oh, what was it, about six months or so, um, then the company had to let me go because I was filling up a job that they needed to get done and I couldn't do it because I was stuck in the hospital. So they let me go. Um, and since the time they let me go, no one wants to hire me. Do they say, do they give you some kind of spiel, spiel that, you know, when you're better, you can come back or, or does that, is, or do they just cut you off completely and that's it? No. Uh, well, they cut you off. They cut you off immediately, but they do say when you're ready, come on back. But there's always a caveat attached to that, which is we have to have a job, an open position for you to fill. And that open position may or may not have the same salary as the last position you just had. So you might not be making the same amount of money, even if you do come back. That is that is rough. It is rough. In fact, it's very frustrating. Well, yeah, it's so, it insults the gifts that you had. They still have, not had that you have. That you can yeah, still perform right. it. You can still do those things. You can still do all the things you were doing before. Can you not? That's right. I could do them all, but it's your uh, mind. Yeah, it was all about the mind, and there was very little that required. Um, much involvement with the body other than you got to move to get from one appointment to the next but that's about all that was that would have been disrupted so because of these surgeries because of this cancer that i had i've lost my leg i've lost my large intestine i lost my job and now it looks like i've lost a career so what what's going through your mind in terms of how to move forward Again, that's another fantastic question. Uh, and the short answer is, is I don't know. The, uh, the main discussion here at my house is what will I do for the next oh, 10 or 15 years before I'm, you know, before I have to officially call it quits and retire. But um, it's, it's really hard to know what the next step is going to be especially if you get another big corporate job, there's always the risk that they'll let you go. And so if they let me go, then I would lose all claim to any disability benefits that I had. And so it's a gamble. It's always a bit of a gamble. Do you go take a new job and risk your disability benefits, which right now keeps the lights on and food on the table? Um, or do you stay with the uh, disability benefit and let your career go goodbye and not uh, look at uh, working like that ever again? So it's a bit of a catch-22. 
so you're still getting disability benefits from your last company, correct? That's right. I bought a disability uh, insurance policy through my company, which pays a certain percentage of what my salary had paid. Uh, and it will last until I'm 65. And then after that, then I'm on my own. So if you were to go out and get something else or get another job or start freelancing or doing your own thing, would you still, that's a policy you can still use or were they cut down? No, 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 so no, no. So it's kind of like, start to... so it's kind of like the unemployment where it gives you just enough to survive. But if you try to get a job and have it, they cut you off. So it almost keeps you down. That's right. Just or they claw the money back. That is, they will give you a certain amount of money. And if you earn any money over the amount that they give you, then they'll take that money back and say that it's theirs because, you know, the agreement was, the policy is that you will get a benefit of X number of dollars. Anything over X, they'll claim belongs to them. So you can't ever make more than what the policy benefits states you can, unless you want to. Uh, cut off the policy and tell them quits. So it's almost designed. Both systems are designed to keep you almost keep you down. Uh, in Maybe a way, not designed that way, fair. but that's what happens. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. That's a horrible. That that's almost like encouraging dependence to yes, some extent. It it really is. It really is. They, uh, I don't know if they thought that through before they enacted those kinds of policies. But uh, what it does is it does create a, a culture of, um, creates a culture of laziness. Because why would you go out and expand your mind, expand your knowledge, try new things, uh, work harder at this, work harder at that, if, if there's no way to gain from it yeah the and it, it yeah it caters to the base human nature it has some interesting psychological dimensions then to it you know and those yeah explain explain where you're going with that so if you can never make more money than what your benefit has then you're not motivated and if you're not motivated the temptation is to just lay around all day um eat Rice crispy treats and watch television and do nothing because you're not going to make any more money anyway. Um, then there's the fact of, you know, I, I was the main breadwinner and I suppose I still am, um, but it's coming through a different means. But uh, your, your sense of manliness and fatherliness are taken away because, you know, man should do man stuff. A man should take care of his family, should be going to work every day, taking care of his family. And now you don't go to work every day. You're not feeling like you're taking care of your family. You're feeling like you're something else. Because yeah, that's so, how the world defines a man to some extent. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. You get defined in terms of what it is you do and the things that uh, stem from that, you know, what you do and how you do it kind of define you as a man or even in some unfortunate circumstances defines how women see themselves. And so uh, if you're not careful, you can start thinking that you don't add any real value and that creates a rabbit hole. That's a dark, dark place to be. 
you know, you don't want to go down that rabbit hole very far because it's hard to climb out of it. So what are you spending most of your time doing now? Well, my wife went back to graduate school, so I've been giving her some tutoring along the way. Uh, for example, she just finished a statistics class yesterday. And um, <clears throat> I used to teach that stuff. So I would give her many lectures along the way because the class that she was taking was all asynchronous online. So it was all read this and do these problems. And there was no real verbal explanation as to what was going on. And nobody could really ask questions to and get real time answers to. So uh, I would uh, give her little mini lectures as she was going through her coursework, which ended up proving to be very valuable for her. She scored very well. Um, even though the course was officially graded as pass fail, she still achieved like 94, 95% of uh, her grade. So that was very uh, fulfilling, being able to help supplement her education. Uh, so I spent a lot of time doing that. I spent a lot of time uh, reconsidering the management of my household. So I do a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff around my house. I can't get down to the laundry room so much. Um, so that becomes a little awkward. But otherwise, you know, managing making sure that dinner gets put together, making sure that uh, we've got people knowing where they're supposed to be going and who's doing what, a lot of that stuff I do. And are you and you're still looking into just your field or are you trying to look outside that field now to maybe something else that you could, because you're a brilliant man. <laughs> and Brilliance um, is a hard thing to measure. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. You're a deep thinking kind of a person and, yeah. Well, you know, it, it is I have hard to tried, measure. You're right. <laughs> it's still very hard to measure, but uh, I have been looking primarily in my field because that's where I think the most immediate opportunities lie. That said, um, there are few opportunities in my field right now, directly in my field. Um, well, let me take that back. There are a number of opportunities in my field. And every day I get job alerts from various websites that indicate that there are jobs in my field. Uh, the, uh, the problem is, and this is where my um, discrimination biases come into play, is that there are a lot of people that as soon as they find out, again, just how old I am, they turn and run the other way. Because how, they want something younger are you and now? cheaper. Uh, I just turned 55 this year. Okay. So you're the speed limit in some places. In some places. And they want younger height because they can hire because they, they don't cost as much because they don't know as much. Right. That's right. So they're not willing to spend a lot of money. And even though the U.S. is reporting record, record high unemployment numbers or record, record low unemployment numbers, um, the employment that they're looking at primarily is whether or not you're willing to make $15 running around an Amazon warehouse. Uh, those kind of jobs, you know, they, they can't hire people quick enough. But uh, people in my line of work uh, don't necessarily get hired quite so speedily. And when they do, they're not necessarily 
um, you know, well, clearly they're not making $15 an hour. They're making something significantly more than that. So they have to, so they judge very carefully who they want to put into their, into those roles. Because they see value in only salary, not what someone can bring to the table necessarily. Uh, yeah, not necessarily. Exactly. Yeah, it is kind of a messed up system because they're missing out on the wealth of knowledge you have and how you could probably save them a bunch of money for, by doing things differently and better because you have a different perspective. That's exactly right. But they don't want to pay for that because they most will. people see... Go, Go ahead. ahead. No, they will pay um, for it. They'll pay for it later. That's right. One way or another, they will pay for it. Wow. Um. Yeah, one way or another, they will pay for it. It's just a matter of whether they want to pay for it now or whether they're going to do it sometime down the road. Yeah, and that's less measurable down the road, so it's easier to justify probably. Yep, that's exactly right. That's messed up. I'm unfortunate, sorry, but true. No, it is uh, It is unfortunate. And again, that can um, th that can really mess with your head if you're not too careful. Again, it can lead you down some rabbit holes about uh, where where do you add value if you don't add value uh, in the job market and you can't do quite as much at home uh, you know I'm running around in a wheelchair today because my leg uh, my prosthetic leg uh, is starting to create more wounds again which I don't want um, you can't do quite as much at home you can't do as much as you want to at work, you start wondering, well, what can you do? What is it you're really uh, able to do in order to create value here for your family, for your community, for whomever? And it's, it's, it's a very challenging thing. Answer that question, I guess, for us. What are, what are you doing or trying to add more value because i know you're this whole series we've been talking about you mentioned the best thing you can do is try to serve anyone and everyone around you yeah so that is still the key um dimension i think is if you serve and you serve with your whole heart then you don't um go down the rabbit hole quite so easily so, for example, I just accepted some new responsibilities with uh, uh, my church community. So I get to work with, uh, you know, the adult leaders over a bunch of boys uh, across, you know, across a, a, a large unit and uh, or a number of units. So I'm in the um, I'm in the stake young men's presidency now. And so there's a lot of service that has to go on there. And the more I dedicate myself to that, the less angsty I get, the more I dedicate myself to making sure my wife is taken care of the less angsty I get, the more I uh, dedicate myself to making sure that uh, um, my house is open to strangers, you know, um, like my children's friends or other people who don't have a place to go uh, then that that makes you feel really good 
So a lot of those service things still are at play. Uh, the problem comes in when you try to catalog what are all the service opportunities. And that, that can be a bit of a challenge because sometimes due to your mobility uh, and ability to get round and about, sometimes it's hard to see what's going on out there in the community where there's help that's needed. That said, when you're out in the community, you can do a lot of good uh, because people, people want you to be at some of these events because it's inspiring to have you there. What I mean by that, uh, there's a, um, I have a friend who sells real estate and he was hosting a mini real estate convention with many of his clients and many of his, uh, of the vendors that he works with, like the homeowners insurance people and the, um, and the mortgage brokerage people and all of those other uh, vendors uh, and that work with clients, plus a handful of clients. And they, and he wanted me to speak about uh, what the experience is like coming through all of this stuff. So um, I gave a short address. I gave like a 40 minute address to these people and just talked about how my experience really mattered to me and what I could do about it. And then pointed out to them that each of them has something significant going on in their world. It may not be cancer, may not be the loss of a limb, um, but there's something significant going on in everybody's life at any given time. Like I'm sure there's something going on in your life right now that you wish you weren't going through. I'm sure. Every house has a story. That's right. And so all we need to do is be reminded of the fact that Getting outside of yourself is a very good and important thing to do. Uh, and it's good and important because that's the only way to break free of the solipsism that you can slip into where it's only you and your story that matters. Yep, that makes sense. Because you just wallow in it. Mm-hmm. And so writing is a very useful tool. If you sit down and journal about some of this stuff and just write and, and you get all your, you get all of the stuff out, whatever's on your mind, you just put it on paper, it becomes objectified and then you can put it on a shelf, uh, you know, put it in a box, put that box on the shelf and walk away from it. If you need it, you know, which box it's in, you know, where on the shelf if that box sits. Um, you can open it up and add more to it or take stuff away. But so when are you giving your next, and put away. when are you giving a Ted talk? <laughs> uh, I'm About afraid this. nobody wants to hear me right now. Yeah. I don't know. Public speaking. Well, this is a great ordeal you've been through. It is a great ordeal. And I don't know uh, when the next opportunity to share any of this is going to come along. I mean, you're, you're gracious enough to want to hear some of my ramblings, but um, it really depends on when there are people who want to hear what I have to say. And when that happens, I'm glad to share. Yeah, definitely Ted talk. I can see you up there <laughs> with your shiny green sticks. With my shining green sticks and my mm -hmm. eight minutes of time to speak. Yeah. Not so bad. Great. You'd be great. 
and inspire, you know, many, many, many people. I know we mentioned it a little bit, but you started traveling again and you came out West. So tell, tell people how that worked with flying and, 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 and hiking quote unquote. Hiking as it were. As sure. It were. So, uh, I have a benefactor who is quite anonymous who bought an electric motorized scooter for me. So it's a three wheeled scooter and it folds up to the size of a suitcase. So you can fold it up and take it on the airplane with you, or you can unfold it and use it as a scooter and get around. And so we got to the airport, we unfolded it and I was able to navigate the airport just fine. Um, security was an interesting opportunity, uh, well, interesting experience, uh, because I've never had anything like that. I've flown for 20 years. I've been traveling significantly and you go through security and they do the metal detectors and then, uh, they do sometimes that full body scan thing and. They do all kinds of stuff to make sure you're not carrying any bombs on you or what have you. But I rolled up to security with my with my prosthetic leg and my electric scooter, and they just kind of waved me on through. They didn't even look at my driver's license to verify my identity. So they just waved me on through. And then the, the guy on the other side of security just wanted to uh, test my hands to see if I had explosive residue on my hands. And like, that was it. And so the then we, there's the upside and then scootered all the way over to where my plane gate was and got on the airplane. We folded down the scooter uh, and set it off there, set it off to the side and the, um, the airplane, the, the baggage people were kind enough to load it on to the airplane right there at the end of the jet bridge. And then, when we got to the destination, they unloaded it right there at the jet bridge and we were able to unpack it and I was able to, to navigate the airport. So uh, that was all really good. And when we were in the airport, we wanted to get a bite to eat, but it was so crowded. There wasn't a table anywhere, but here comes up this guy with one leg on an electric scooter and um, people are just giving up their seats. So here you take this seat. But I had my wife and my daughter with me. So we have whole parties of people just vacate where they were sitting and what they were doing. So we could sit down and eat. So some upsides to it. Yeah. What you find out is that people are generally pretty decent. Yeah. Um, People are decent. No matter where you go in this country, there are decent people everywhere. And they're the majority. Yeah, I think so. Easy to get hung up on the ones that aren't, because that's just human nature yeah. to focus on something that's different. The under the political turmoil that's going on right now, it's nice to see the fact that regardless of your affiliations politically, most people are very empathetic, uh, and they and they like to help. They there's like politi- very much to help. They want to help. There's political turmoil. Where are you? What do you mean? Hmm. In a future day, people might not get that reference. I I hope a future day people won't get that reference, but I have a feeling that's going to always be with us now. 
I have a feeling you're right. You know, but it gives us opportunities to to love those that are different, which is good. <laughs> That's my theory. Well, yeah. And it goes to our point. People are decent in the majority that they're decent. It's just when you get on the fringes where you end up with some of the whack jobs and uh, some of those people I've run into and they're not so uh, accommodating. Well, funny you mentioned that. I have a new friend who's a police officer in Louisville, Kentucky, and he's got a podcast and he's written a book and and he reached out to someone who clearly has not the same values and and I'd never had like direct experience with trolls mm -hmm. and both of us tried to engage these people in decent conversation because they want their story told but we said hey here's two platforms here's two podcasts do you want to come share we're not we're going we're gonna to be totally fair and kind and loving and and it was interesting. No matter what you did or how nice you were, it just got worse and worse the more you no ask questions. It's very, it was, I'd never been nervous on social media, but I went into my social media accounts and took off some of my personal information because I, I felt nervous. That's people like that, they don't care. They just want to destroy you. So they, you were worried about them coming and finding you or, or just doxing you. Telling people mm. where you were, and it was really fascinating because he was so respectful to this guy, so respectful, and they just they do not care, and angry, angry, angry. It was really interesting. Dude, that's my yeah. one of my points is just to try to bridge the gap between people, and we don't have to kill each other because we think. Yeah, I don't understand that. I don't understand how people can get to that level of animosity and anger towards other people i don't i don't understand it it's easy it's easier that's why well i suppose you're right it is a lazy man's proposition to just get angry that's a default emotion and we all know it and we all can do it yeah. but it is the easy way out have you found yourself through this whole ordeal much different or are you i mean you always have been a good human have you found much change in that other than maybe better i know you're better well, now in some ways i'm better and in some ways i have found out that there are parts of me that i don't particularly care about like and um it's easier to get frustrated than i thought i was than i thought i was capable of i thought i was more the master of my domain than that and that I didn't get quite as bent out of shape as sometimes I do and um, when some things happen and my nose gets bent out of joint I get frustrated really quickly and can sometimes enter a fight or flight mode of being you know where the where the options are I will stand my ground and I will box with you, whether it's uh, physically, which I don't do, or whether it's emotionally or, or um, psychologically or, or academically, we'll just, we'll just have fisticuffs academically. And 
uh, I'll try I'll try to win those fights as often as I can. And uh, if it's looking like it's going to cost me too much personally, well, then I'll just find a way to run away if the cost looks too high. Now, that doesn't happen all the time. That just happens when things get really rough uh, with somebody. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. It's when it just gets rough with somebody and your fight or flight reflex just takes over. And apparently in mine, it's highly developed. So, so there are times when I've learned that there are things about me that I don't really care about. Uh, and then there are times when I realize there are things about me that uh, are really pretty decent, that I'm uh, a pretty decent guy when it comes to certain kinds of things. And, you know, that's paradoxical in a way. Because some of those things I sort of knew about, but I just didn't realize to what extent I, I knew about them. And some of them are brand new to me that I've never thought about before. And so, you know, when that happens, you got to take, you got to take good when it happens. You got to check mark the box, the W box, every time you uh, learn something like that. You know, just give yourself a checkbox in the win column, and yeah. uh, and then you can say, okay, good. I'm gonna, I'm going to leave my evaluations there. I'm not going to uh, dissect it wonder what happened or how did I get there? Uh, I'll just take the W and get on my merry way. And same thing when things don't go so well, just take the loss, uh, accept it and go on your merry way and try harder next time. Learn from the experience because no experience is wasted. That's true. At least that's what I tell myself. Well, on this third installment of the, uh, of the uh the chris christensen journey what what would you want to tell people that i maybe haven't asked you i would want to say if you find yourself in a very hard situation and everybody will everybody's got something they're dealing with which is hard for them um cut yourself a huge break or if it's happening to one of your loved ones, like a family member or a dear close friend, cut them a break. And when you're cutting yourself a break or you're cutting your significant other a break during all of this stuff, you've got to remember, you've got to remember who you are. If you don't recall your identity, you know, we sing the primary song, I am a child of God. If you forget that, even for a minute, you will slip into a dark, dreary place. And it will not turn out well for you. And so my, my one thing that I would say is cut yourself a break. Things may be tough and challenging, but mentally, they don't have to be as challenging as they feel sometimes. Um, a lot of that challenge is just something that we, um, the difficulty of the challenge, the, the, the pain of the challenge, the heartache of the challenge is something that we, um, I don't want to say make up, but it's something that we help build. 
and when we can help build it in a different direction, then uh, we really have done something. So if you're feeling like me from time to time, sad about yourself and sorry for yourself and whatever, you can turn around, turn that around and, uh, you know, get your money back if you've made an investment, but then build up yourself or other people along the way and realize that, you know, everybody's dealing with something. And if they are, have some compassion. Realize you have control. You have so much more control than you think, at least mm-hmm. about attitude. That's right. You you have a crucial. lot of control. Well, thank you again for sharing your your progress. And well, we'll hey, do, it's we'll, my pleasure. We'll do it again. Yeah, let's do that. Part, part I'll give four you of however many. I I, <laughs> I I I started labeling the episodes. You know, part one of three, two of three, but I'm like. Maybe there will be more. There'll probably be more than three. So I'm just saying part one, two, and then there whatever, you go. You know, so there you go. But anyway, so, so, um, thank you again for, for coming on and sharing. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for listening to the Parish the Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. Hey, thanks again for listening to the show. I am so grateful you're here and continue to support my efforts. Uh, We're doing something a little new. It's called Ask Brian Anything. If you have questions, comments, concerns about any previous episode, or just want to know my perspective on anything, please send those to parishpodcast at gmail.com. That's P-A-R-R-I-S-H podcast at gmail.com, and I'll feature them on an upcoming episode. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Parish the Thought Show.